Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. Today, we're talking to Baruch Ellsworth. We're going to discuss leadership and accountability in high-stress environments. This is really relevant to Baruch's industry. He started cooking as a teenager and chased the romance of being a chef. He started in kitchens in San Francisco in the early 2000s, and he had the fortune to work with Daniel Hume, Ron Siegel, and Corey Lee. Baruch found a path towards pastry, and that landed him in Seattle's Canlis for eight years as a pastry chef and executive sous chef at one of the country's oldest but still most relevant restaurants. Now he's back in Northern California at a Michelin three-star single thread. Baruch has undergone the incredible but tough experience of keeping a restaurant alive during the wild circumstances with the pandemic. And like myself, he grew up in the punk scene, so he's been able to apply some of that thinking. So in the hardcore community, he found that positive energy, and that really set him on his path, that willingness to take a leap and figure out things as you go along, and that's what's helped him as a leader. So before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics, and if you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, Today, we are with an old friend of mine that I've known for many, many, many years, uh, Baruch Ellsworth, and we are going to talk about leadership and accountability in high-stress environments, which I got to say is like one of the coolest conversations that I I think you can have with someone, and I'm really excited to have Baruch on the show. So, my man, welcome to the show. Hey there. Long time to see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's hop into it, man. Leadership and accountability in high-stress environments. What does that mean for you personally and professionally? Well, professionally, you know, it, it, it says what it is. It's leadership and accountability in any uh, situation. And this happens to be a high-stress where in my profession, it's uh, delivering a high level of hospitality um, and performance uh, daily. Mm-hmm. Um, with a few days off here and there, but, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a practice that we get to repeat over and over again for many years and get better at it and better at it. And, um, that's where I'm coming from about 20 solid years of cooking. Um, and most of those years in high, high end fine dining kind of establishments. Um, personally, it means to me uh, a real journey in like understanding yourself and, understanding your um, inequalities um, as well as your, you know, the things that you can bring to the table um, as far as managing people, because after a while, because of the repetitious nature, uh, we're able to hone our craft um, 
to a certain degree where it's second nature. Now we're always learning, but at a certain point, your standard is your standard and that's what you've learned over the years. And it, in my case, it's uh, a high standard. Um, I hope it's a high standard. <laughs> so personally, uh, it's a journey, like I said, uh, to understand, you know, uh, how, how, where you're failing in life and where you're, um, how you're going to get better at that and how you're going to like bring others up to that standard. Um, because you're nothing without the people around you and, uh, you have to stop and appreciate that. And I think in my business, a lot of us get to a point of management where, uh, all of a sudden we're in charge of a team. Uh, we're the most influential, all of a sudden you are the one with the most experience and you have to step back and realize that and, uh, understand the power that has in people's lives because they're all looking to you. Um, and hopefully they want to be you at least in part, if not in whole, hopefully not in whole, um, they, they want to emulate you. They want to get the experience that you've gotten over your, your years. And, uh, you have to appreciate that, um, that they're all looking at you. Okay, man, there's so much there I want to unpack. So <laughs> just for our audience, like, yeah, as I said in our intro, you know, you've got a really significant wealth of experience in the fine dining industry. And I think like even people who are relatively unfamiliar with what that looks like have heard or can at least guess that there's a lot of pressure in that industry. What can you tell us about being in these high stress, high uh, pressure environments that's really unique to a kitchen environment? Well, at first you, you get thrown in, you get thrown in there. Um, and it's kind of exciting. You have to be willing to commit yourself hundred percent to it. Um, it gives back an incredible amount of wealth of knowledge, but it takes time to be able to absorb all that. Um, and when you, uh, when you, when you get th thrown in there, um, you just don't know you're asked for me elbow, you're sinking or swimming. Um, you know, eight hours goes by like 20 minutes. And before you know it, there's two days have gone by and you haven't eaten, you slept maybe 20 minutes or uh, two hours. <laughs> um, and that's at the beginning because you're very excited and you're very young and you're very, um, just very excited. I, you know, huh? um, the pressure hopefully forms a, a, a really hard cut gem uh, that can last for a long time, right? To put the analogy um, in there. Um, being in those environments can be very fun and exciting and, um, exuberating and it can really crush you um day in and day out you're going back to work hopefully you're learning hopefully you're getting better but you're not going to know that for a long time mm -hmm. and you have to uh be resilient and stick it out and be tenacious as hell um because you know you know no one's really telling you that you're doing a good job uh they're just telling you they're just not yelling at you <laughs> in some of these instances <laughs> Um, and at first you get yelled at a lot and screamed at and things get thrown at you. And <laughs> at least that was, that's what it was like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, these days, I don't know if, uh, that happens so much anymore. Um, yeah, things have changed, uh, for the better. I think, uh, people don't, people aren't un under such harsh conditions anymore. Um, mm -hmm. however, you know, harsh conditions yield great things sometimes. Um, 
I think people are mistaken or misled to think that they are going to be a great chef or a great anything uh, when they're not necessarily, they're going to be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be in any given field. Um, now, the high stress can yield a high performer, but it can also burn someone out. Uh, not only the person delivering the stress, but the person receiving it, of course. But uh, I think that's kind of lost on 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 today's youth. Well, yeah, I, w- I want to hit on this because it's interesting. Like, and I, it's easy. I think it'd be easy for you and I to generalize and say like all youth are, are like this. But what we will say is that like I think there is an increased focus on how people want to be treated in work, like younger generations, and whether or not that is for all across the whole generation or for a small group. It, it's hard to say. One of the things that I, I definitely am seeing, uh, well, I want to hit two points. One is your industry, like fine dining, there seems to be a lot of parallels to high performance culture, like sales, right? And like really high pressure, super high expectations. You either thrive or you, or you don't make it at all. Like there's no kind of middle ground. Um, and also kind of a, a history of like a challenging lifestyle. Like, you know, we hear a lot about it in sales, like people like working insane hours and developing like really unhealthy habits around alcohol, drugs, like living in excess, very little sleep, all of those things. And I know that exists with, uh, in your world. So that's one thing I want to come back to. But another thing that I, I think I want to hit on right now, though, is like the value of a high stress environment. And um, it's hard to say because I, from a therapeutic point of view, Human beings shouldn't be stressed out. It's uh, for long periods of time. It's not healthy for us. Right. However, we actually have a whole system within our psychology that allows us to do that. And if we get really good at that and we get good at tucking into that space and taking care of ourselves, mm-hmm. we can differentiate ourselves and rise to very significant roles. So I don't know if there's a right or wrong about a high stress, infra, a high stress environment. What I'd say is what's not cool is abuse. Like being abusive is not cool. No, it isn't. Uh, that that abuse comes from the the abusers typically stressed out. Mm. They've endured the stress for too long and they're burnt out and their their fuse is very short and they don't know how to manage themselves and you know they're maybe in their early thirties or whatever and they're just they don't you know they're never given the the patience themselves um, as they're coming up. Well, and so let me add something on there because I agree with that. So we see a lot of like kind of abusive behaviors in high stress environments come from the leaders themselves just being overloaded and they're taking shortcuts. They're giving themselves permission to act in certain ways. So that's part of it. But the other side, think of how you came up, man, in the business or how you came up uh, within your world. And I'll think about how I came up uh, in the coaching world. I experienced like my first job in this world, in the coaching world was horrifying how people were treated. And I could see people on the left and right of me when they were getting into leadership positions, they viewed it almost as a rite of passage and that treating people like that was like, well, of course, like, of course, now I get to do that to someone. It's like almost like hazing when you're in high school, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like that kind of like leaders being like, well, I was treated like this and I survived and that's what made me strong. Like, what do you think about that around abusive behavior specifically? You never want to treat someone like you wouldn't want to be treated yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are going to take hazing or, uh, you know, abuse differently. And you can't treat everyone the same. You can't yet. You can yell at someone and they're going to love it and they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. You can yell at someone else and they're going to cower in the corner and just shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something that I've learned is that before you uh, go to such extremes, you have to know the person that you're going to communicate with. So I might bark at someone, but I know they're going to like take it and run and they're going to, it's going to get them moving and they're going to be stimulated by it. And uh, they're going to come back for more, not in a abusive way, but they're going to come back for more because they just want, they're just hungry. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the person who can't take that kind of direction isn't hungry, but they just need to be coached differently. And so um, as, a, as a leader, uh, you, you got to like learn how to read the room, read the person who's, who's going to uh, receive your feedback or direction. And if it's going to be in a harsh way, um, you got to be prepared to, to nurture that person back from their corner. Um, now, you can't spend all day tiptoeing around people because it's a high stress environment. So things have to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, know, you, you brought this person into your team. You brought this person into your world. You have to uh, give them that respect, knowing that they're, they're not like that other guy who's going to thrive off of getting, quote unquote, abused. Yeah, um, I want to hit. I want to hit on two things here that I, I think are really important for people to hear because it's going to lead me to a third point. The first, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe that you and I are both agreeing. Like, listen, traditional abusive behaviors that are considered to kind of be like almost hazing in like a high performance world, they got to go. Thing of the past, you cannot do them. Mm-hmm. The inherent power imbalance of someone who's been through it and who chooses to view that as a positive experience is skewed because you have power. And just because you digested something like that in a certain way doesn't mean you have the right to inflict that level of trauma on someone else. So that's what, would you, are we aligned on that? Oh, hundred percent. Okay. The second point that I, I wanted to hit though, that I find fascinating, and I, I really want to dive deep on this with a follow-up. I just want to make sure we're aligned is that the ability of a leader in high stress environments to be able to be flexible in their leadership style and read the room, read their team and know who can I apply a little bit more pressure on? Who do I have to nurture a little bit more? That ability to be flexible and adaptable in the moment is, um, it's the most valuable and needed skill that someone in a high stress environment, a leader in a high stress environment would have. Is that aligned with what we're saying? I don't know if it's the most valuable, but it's, it's huge. It helps a lot. You can get people to do anything if you can just speak to them correctly. And uh, you might, you're, you know, you're talking to someone who's just left home for the first time and they're out in the world by themselves and they don't have any experience with, with other people really, you know, in this kind of situation, especially. And you got to know if they can take a certain candor or, or not. Yeah, you got, and you got to get, you got to get them to perform because that's your job as a leader. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I've got this guy that I've known for years named Mike Rolla. Uh, he was on the podcast before, uh, doing one about learning, uh, learning while leading. And he's just one of those guys that like, you get that he, he's, it's a high pressure situation like sales. And he's really honed his ability to kind of approach people differently. And mm-hmm. in these high pressure situations, we see so many people fall into one style of leadership, right? And it's like, they just stick to that thing and that's how they lead. And Brings me to a point I want to touch on that you've, you've already uh, discussed when you're talking with Patrick is that like, it's funny that in high stress environments, these are the people who usually are invested in least by their organization about how to actually lead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, it's, 
I don't know if it's the organization's uh, fault necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the organizations as a whole, restaurants and hotels are, are learning that it is their fault and that they need to do a better job at nurturing people as leaders. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily their, their fault because no one really expected the hotel or restaurant group to create leaders. They, they expect these places to create dining and uh, hospitality based experiences for the patron. Whereas, you know, the, the people in the back are, are just there in the back. It's got to get done somehow. <laughs> right, right, right. So, like, there wasn't this expectation for organizations to do that. And the reason I'm attaching this to sales is, like, I, I just think of um, so many great sales leaders that I've met that were like, I just realized at one point I didn't know, I didn't know anything about leading. I just was leading the way that I was led before. And there's some good stuff, but like, man, I was like being unnecessarily harsh to people or I was doing stuff that I didn't want to do. I wasn't being who I was. I was just being this caricature of other people who have led me. Yeah, and yeah. defining your own leadership style in general is like super important. But in a high stress environment, it's so easy to like lean into bad habits to try and get it's results. Emotional. Yeah. Where in the past where I've been gotten uh, reprimanded orally, uh, I guess you could say verbally abused. Uh, I, I don't really, I'm not traumatized by it. Um, however, you know, one could say it's verbal abuse. Um, you know, that's what you learn. And then you revert back to your primal instincts sometimes or your very basic emotions when you're under high stress. Um, and it's like you're in this fight or flight situation and something that was said to you before or something that you've heard before comes out of your mouth uh, because it was so simple and it was so actually thoughtless, uh, but it, it made the most sense at the time. Mm. Um, and you, you just, you react and you don't think. And then um, yeah, you, you've, you've, you've made your bed, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you, you could be, that bed can either, you know, yield great results or, or you're, you're stuck in this hole where before you know it, you're being isolated. You're isolating yourself from others. Mm -hmm. uh, you're pushing people away. Mm -hmm. um, you're not, you're not giving them trust anymore. Uh, you're not giving them um, the tools they need to actually succeed. Yes. They got the thing done in the moment, but they don't understand. They don't understand why you don't understand why. And you're just left with nothing. You're just going to repeat the next day. Um, so if you were thinking about this, um, say, I don't want to, again, speak broadly to the industry, but, you know, again, what we've discussed is kind of apparent lack of leadership investment or training in that hospitality industry. Um, like, what does that expose the industry to? Like, you know, what's, what's the issue for the fine dining industry around that? I think it exposes the industry to repeat itself. Um, it's a very delicate business model. It's a very poor business model, very slim profit margins, high labor costs. Um, and <laughs> we're deliver delivering a, a luxury ingredient or, or, or um, experience. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's expensive for the patron, but it's not really as expensive as it should be to really capture the, um, the true cost of it all. Mm. Um, so if we're not 
developing people as leaders, as true managers, people who really understand how to, how to run the business and how to, how to communicate with people in an effective manner, um, it's doomed to repeat itself. And we're seeing right now uh, in this time of, of COVID um, pandemic and the, the restaurant and hospitality businesses are just devastated right now. And part of that is because there's too many. We were living in a time of excess of a lot of restaurants, a lot of options. Um, you know, every every new town, every whatever is popping up. You know, five restaurants within whatever short amount of time, and you get just this blanket uh, or, or or very thin industry, and just too much. Um, and now it's all failing and the businesses that can survive, they've been forced to look at, look at themselves, to turn into themselves and see what they can actually accomplish as a business. And that starts with their culture. If their culture wasn't strong, they're most likely not going to survive. Uh, unless they're of course a publicly traded company, but that's a different subject. Yeah. I, I think that it, we're doomed to repeat ourselves. Um, and right now we're really, sh- we're really seeing our vulnerability in that sense. If we weren't, if a restaurant wasn't able to pivot and deliver in a different business uh, model with to go or outside dining or what have you, um, you know, that, that, that starts with management that starts with your leaders that starts with the culture. And if you don't have a strong culture, then um, you're probably not doing very well. Yeah, man. And that's, that's really compelling for me because like if your business is essentially just a few figureheads at figureheads, maybe not the right term, but you got like a few leaders in an organization and everyone else is just followers who are held in line through like intensity and like, you know, high performance, but also like deliver a result. They're not really viewing themselves as like stewards of a business. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have strong leaders and those leaders create a culture of leadership and a culture of accountability, then everyone feels that they're a steward of the business and that they want to help the business thrive. And that means if you got to pivot, you got you don't have a bunch of people holding on to what works for them. It's a bunch of people who are pushing towards what works for the business. But I got to ask you, how do we get to this place? So like, let's say a, a, an industry like yours, which has been kind of mired in, in traditional approaches, how do we make that shift towards increased leadership and accountability, especially in these high stress environments? Yeah. I think it's a culture of mentorship and mm. it's a culture uh, that appreciates um, people's livelihood um, outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, how much, uh, you know, it's, it's like how much time, how many hours can you work in a day? And we all kind of hold that to each other. Well, I worked 14 hours and they worked only 12. So, you know, what's their deal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, instead we should be championing how how much time were you able to take off how well did your team perform when you weren't there and, and you know if your team didn't perform well when you weren't there then how do we get how do we change that how do we get them to be uh, stewards of this experience when you're not in the room right because everyone acts differently when the boss isn't in the room i don't know how you can change that if at all, it's just the reality of, of animal behavior. When the alpha leader isn't there, the rest of the pack tends to relax a little bit and then it tends to do things a little bit differently. But if it's a well-maintained pack, they know that their purpose is to deliver something great and they'll take pride in that with or without yeah. the leader. 
Well, so this is an interesting thing though, right? Cause like we're talking about like, oh, instead of taking pride about how like you could like punish yourself more, like I worked 15 hours and I had like an hour of sleep. Like what's wrong with you, you weaklings? Like how come you can't do, do that? Which again, in, in the culture of uh, restaurant culture is that is like traditionally what we hear about all the time. Right. And then in sales, you hear that all the time. And a lot of tech stuff, it's like people just brutalizing themselves to get to that next environment. But then, of course, we have the conversations like, well, what if we instead we celebrated the person who took the most time off? That sounds really, really nice. But again, we're talking about like in reality, how do we actually get that to happen? Yeah. I, I think it starts uh, with the senior leaders. You know, they've in this generation, our senior leaders have come up in a situations that we were just talking about, you know, the, the high stress and overworked, underpaid kind of situations. But now they're the senior leaders, they're the owners, they're the, the chef owners, they're the chef de cuisines, they're the restaurant group owners, the, you know, the people who are really in charge, people who are in charge of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with them. They need to champion their underbosses time off. They need to take care of their bosses. I'm very fortunate uh, to have worked from people I've worked for and uh, very fortunate to have landed my job now uh, because I know my boss champions my well-being because he knows that I am not going to perform. I'm not going to be able to deliver without it. But not every boss is like that. Not every boss is in the same situation uh, in their own life and see the same values of being away from work. Not every boss has a family or, or something that, that they need to uh, take care of outside of work, um, that they find joy in outside of work. Um, some bosses are only work still. And, you know, I think it, it starts at the top. Okay. So I got to turn the spotlight on you though, man. So like we're talking, you came up in, in that time of intensity and I want to say, like, I think there's huge value in having a high intensity environment. So high stress, maybe is not the word I'd use, but high intensity, high expectation, you got to execute. And I, I think that's valuable. And for very, some industries, it's just, that's just it. It's going to be that thing. Like I want people who work in my company to feel like they need to deliver and they need to deliver well. But I also know that I don't need to be brutal about that. There's ways that we can make that happen. So let's focus on you. In your years in the industry, how have you changed and what lessons have you learned? Okay. So, and I was first given or earned or took responsibility. Um, yeah, I, I was following my examples from, <laughs> from the past uh, or previous examples and short-tempered, loud, ill-mannered at times, sarcastic, um, uncaring and some of those traits grew as i grew and i was only able to be more of those things to more people as i went through the ranks um and i'm not that kind of person i <laughs> i'm not mean um i'm not um a cruel person uh, i'm self-centered i have many flaws mm-hmm. but i'm not I'm not mean. I'm not really that person. But I was being mean at, at work. I was being mean to people. And I was only doing that because I don't mean to like blame 
the people who, who taught me before, like, oh, I, I'm a product of, product of my environment and all that kind of stuff, even though I am. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's up to me to hold on to that or let it go, right? You know, I, I, I use this as an example. I never burn toast. Why don't I burn toast? Because when I was a young cook, you know, I was toasting some brioche and I burnt some and we had to replate, re, re, redo the whole everything because the toast was late, right? The toast was burnt. So we had to redo things that are time and temperature sensitive to being served. And if we're waiting on toast, okay, everyone knows a mistake is going to happen. Okay, okay. And then just suck it up and redo it, whatever. It's kind of the nature of service. But then the second time it happens, it's like, what, what? This is just toast where everyone's waiting on toast. And I think it was the third time where the chef had just had enough. And I was young, right? I was in my early 20s and just like scatterbrained, overwhelmed. And uh, the, the chef throws it in my face, Throw, just throws the, the burnt brioche right in my face. And it was shocking and jarring and, uh, you know, a blow to my I don't know, like ego or, or whatever. And I, I walked away from that being like, I know it was just toast, but he threw it in my face. And I want to like, <laughs> I want to do bad things, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm reverting <laughs> to my like primal instinct of like being assaulted, right? Um, but you don't, you just, you just swallow it and you move on. But I couldn't help thinking about it for a long time. And, but that, that, that thought stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I never burned, I never, I never made that kind of a simple mistake again. Or if I did, it's like my mission in life to rectify it and never ha- let it happen again. Um, it's that kind of, I use that analogy in this to justify my ill behavior or my uh, sh- shortcomings as a, as a leader, as a poor communicator, as a yeller instead of a talker, you know, a yeller instead of a listener, um, someone who's depending only on themselves to make everything happen rather than giving the trust to everyone around them to do it and realizing that's just, that's what makes a team. That's what makes a, a that's what makes things easy. <laughs> um, I was always depending on uh, the struggle to, to push through, through service and through the day. And so over the years I, I've learned to temper that to, although I still use that burnt toast as an example, because like I said, it, it, it should be, you make a simple mistake, but no one's got time for that. Um, so it's your mission in life at that moment to never, to never do that again, to, to fix that problem real fast, mm-hmm. as fast as you can. Um, I use that example still. However, it, I, I don't use it to justify my behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do lose my temper, um, it's so important to, to have a conversation on the back end. Um, it's so important to apologize if you do lose your temper. Um, it's so important to understand what happened, why it happened, and that it's never going to happen again. And how do we get to that point? How do we not let this happen again? And, and that requires communication. That requires talking uh, and not yelling. That requires listening. And it requires understanding of where that person's coming from. Um, you know, you can't just bark at them and shove them into the corner and expect them to come out of that a better person. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a bit for me, like moving from a survive mentality to a thrive mentality. So like, I, I remember that again, the, the first 
coaching role that I took after no longer being a therapist. I made the leap from one industry to another. Um, I remember my boss making this analogy to himself as a boa constrictor. And he essentially just like threatened everyone in the room. Like I will crush you unless you hit your sales numbers. And like, I just come from being a therapist and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like what is this horrifying place I work in? And <laughs> That's not healthy. No, it was terrible. And like, this guy was so embarrassing as a, as just a, on every level that I could say, but I will say this, like in, in the wild, let's just say like, we're in like the wild, we're on the street. I would never fear this guy. Like it's just clownish dude. But like in the business world where he had power over me, the power was to fire me, take away you know, my ability to work, to humiliate me publicly. I was afraid of this guy. Right. And there was like kind of a motivating factor to that, but it's the kind of horrible thing that I don't want anyone to experience ever again. And the thing was, I'm going to outsmart and outwork this guy. And I am going to become so good at what I do that he no longer has the ability to do this to me. And I'm going to thrive in this situation. But I had to like kill myself to get there. And it's very unhealthy. I worked crazy, crazy hours and it had all sorts of impacts in my life. Very, very unhappy. And when I got to the, when I got to the mountaintop and I really was essentially able to like kind of shrug the boa constrictor off this like this guy i remember realizing like, it was no longer a threat yeah but the thing that i did was i just made this guy a lot of money you know like i i like yes i've proved that i'm tough and yes i could learn stuff but i've made i just made this guy a lot of money and the thing was did my performance increase absolutely was my ability and skill absolutely but the thing that it didn't do was make me loyal to this guy. And in fact, it's what set me up to start my own company and become like a direct competitor of this dude. And like, I'll never forget that he brutalized me to the point where I got so good that I could start the competition. And had he been super cool and helped me thrive in a compassionate way, I'd probably still be in that company and we'd be, you know, doing well. But I think you, anyone can brutalize someone into high performance. Mm -hmm. And it's up to that person whether or not they want to put up with it and if they can survive it. But it takes a special kind of leader to cultivate people up in a compassionate way that also requires that they perform at their highest level in a high-stress environment. And that's what I think is the real win for environments like this. Yeah, that's what I struggle for. That's what I strive for is to, to bring people up in a, in a serious way, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we can laugh and talk and stuff like that. But when it, you know, when it really comes down to it, we need to deliver and i can only show that through my actions like this is how we do this task um like so, like someone with with a lot of experience can um but if they don't uh they don't perform they need to you got you gotta you gotta light the fire sometimes mm -hmm. yeah so that brings me to a question around like who you're surrounded with because you know you'd mentioned to patrick in our in our um prep interview that you know, in your world, there's the Peter Pan complex is like a real thing. So what can you tell us about that? Well, I kind of started realizing, uh, I think I was maybe in my late 30s, um, pushing 40. And everyone around me was still 23, 25. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the people who I was surrounded with all the time. Mm -hmm. Those are the people I'm, I'm conducting daily conversations with, interactions with. and. Um, and then you, you, you put yourself out there in the real world or the non-work world and people who are your age don't behave like that. 
<laughs> they don't think the same way you do. They don't like uh, interact the same way you do. They don't have the same um, candor in their voice or whatever. And uh, I realized that, you know, I think I'm stuck in a youthful, uh, not youthful, but maybe immature uh, situation. And I need to realize that so I can grow out of it and I can grow as a human being. I can't stay 27 my whole life and expect to be a good father and a good husband and a good mentor and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, that, I think that's my, my, when I say Peter Pan complex for me, that's what it means. Uh, that's a level of maturity. Um, so you got to be able to like be mature as a business person grow while also being able to communicate with younger generations, which in your industry, and again, I'm, I'm going to make this connection also in the sales industry. You've got like just a constant churn of like young people coming in and you've got to be able to mature as a person while being able to connect to the youth. Right. You, but you know, you want them to be you, right? You, they need to want to be you because uh, you're the boss. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to want to be you. So who are you going to be for them? Are you going to be their 41 year old buddy? <laughs> or are you going to be their boss and their, their adult uh, an adult mentor to them? Uh, because if you're, if you want to be their buddy, they're going to be your buddy for about a week and then they're going to move on and then you've got nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So that this brings me to something I want to, hit on towards the end of our interview, but I felt was really important. It was right. We talked about it right at the top. So this industry that you're in and also any kind of like really high stress environments or high performance environments, they are not known for self-care. And in fact, really high stress environments are not only known for lack of self-care, but they're known for working crazy hours, poor diet, lack of exercise, but also a lot of things to do with like partying and addiction and, mm -hmm. and a more like illicit ways of interacting and taking the edge off. So what can you share with us about like what you've observed and what you've gone through and you know, what you, what you would recommend for people who are leading in environments like this? Um, well, yeah, I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, I've seen a lot of substance abuse um, casually and some of it turns into something more serious uh, depending on the person and situation, of course. Um, I've seen it out in the open, uh, white powders from far off countries, things like that. Um, I've never been one to partake in such things. Uh, thankfully, I never had that desire. Uh, but I do say I, I do drink. And personally, I can see it get out of control sometimes or just go in a way where it's like, mm -hmm, you're letting this slip again. You're letting this be a regular thing or, or too much. And I'm thankful that I have people in my life that don't share that same uh, behavior pattern that I can easily, I can easily step away from it. Okay. That's me though. I can easily step away from it. And that's not everyone. And this business is just starting to realize that it has a problem. Um, it's a, it's a business that's surrounded by alcohol. I mean, that's what we do. It's what we serve. It's in the restaurant. It's in the building. It's always there, always there. And what do we do when we unwind from work? We have a drink. We socialize with drinks. We, um, as if you want to take it to like a, like a, a gourmandism, we, we look to, to drinks as a sense of culture. Mm -hmm. 
especially if you're in the wine business, if you're a sommelier uh, or a wine professional, um, you, wine is your job. It's your life. And that can, it's still alcohol. It can still get out of control. And you can justify that by saying, I'm only tasting, uh, I only care to drink certain things. Um, but it, excess can lead, always lead to excess. And um, in a, at the end of the day, it's a substance and it, it has a grip on us, whether we like it or not. And it's very hard to control for some, some people. Um, now, that's substance abuse. Mm-hmm. However, I, I think the uh, physical abuse or, or, or emotional not abuse, um, not taking care of yourself physically, simply, right? Yeah. Uh, not eating well, not sleeping enough, overworking yourself. Now, we've already talked about the, how, how we can champion time off. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really incumbent upon ourselves to, to take nutrition and, and, and self-care into a high regard. Uh, I think I was around 35 and I noticed I was becoming pudgy. I mean, you know me and anyone who's listening who, who knows me um, knows that I'm skinny. I've always been uh-huh. skinny and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm overweight or, or fat or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm skinny. But when I was 35, I had just had, my, my daughter was about four years old at that time more or less three. So when you have a, a small child, you don't sleep a whole lot. So I'm working a lot, not sleeping a lot, and um, not really watching myself uh, nutritionally because I never really had that uh, inclination because I was always skinny. That's just my body type. And believe me, I'm not complaining. Um, however, it is still capable. You're still capable of being out of shape with poor nutrition if you are skinny or not. And that was becoming me. And as I was getting older, I started noticing like my body's changing. Okay, well, that's, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I was comfortable with that. And um, I just realized that I needed to take, take better care of myself. So I started, I started exercising, started running, and I started um, pushing myself through that. And, you know, it's not being a, an athlete as, as a young kid or anything like that. I didn't, I was starting from zero, basically. Mm-hmm. So I was starting to run and things like that. And like, shin splints and um and going through all the pains growing pains that i i should have gone through when i was in like like a teenager um so i i went through all that um started running started lifting weights and taking better account of my nutrition trying to sleep a little more (laughs) i'm still not as good at that as i wish i was but Mm uh i definitely uh try to get the exercise in as you grow you realize that self-discipline is the only way you're going to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reflects on you professionally as well, because if you don't have discipline in your profession, you're not going to do well. And if you let everything slip just because, then well, you're going to be, again, left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love what I hear you saying here. And it's it's really been a through line through our whole conversation is like, Personal accountability, like, listen, like if you're working in a high stress environment and I'm not saying, actually, I've I've said the opposite. Being stressed out is not good for people. However, human beings can totally survive in stressful situations if you know how to take care of yourself and taking care of yourself is the key. But like how you lead, how you show up, how you engage, the kind of culture you build and also how you take care of yourself physically, mentally, and just from like perspective of like what you put in your body in terms of alcohol or drugs. It all boils down to discipline. The whole through line is performance culture 
requires discipline, discipline of thought, discipline of action, discipline of intention, discipline of leadership. And if you have those things and you, you know, have a strategy about how you're going to do it, you're going to thrive. I mean, your business might not be successful, but you as an individual and the team you lead is going to survive. Yeah, thrive, even in sorry. part, if you have just a little bit of that, you're, you're going to do a far better. If you just have a, a little bit of discipline in any, any of those ways that you mentioned, um, you can do so much better. You can be happier. You're going to be healthier. All that, all that feeds into each other. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. So um, I've got a couple questions left for you here. So fun question first, and then we'll, we'll pass it back over to you for a close off here. Um, so, you know, you and I know each other through punk and hardcore scene. You know, I know you came up in the, in the Southern California, like, you know, hardcore scene, straight edge scene. Um, what is one band and one song from that band that could bring you out of mosh retirement? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> bringing me out of, get me, get me moving. So uh, the last not, band, not I just saw, get you moving, man, get you yeah, I know, either I stage you. diving or moshing or both. I hear you. Um, You know, if we if we ever get back to having live shows and I get a chance to see Sick Foot All again, which I know I will because they're one of the hardest working bands on the planet and they'll be back uh, as soon as they can. Um, clobbering time. Oh, God. Yes, absolutely. OK, what an answer for anyone listening who didn't grow up with punk and hardcore scene. Sick of it all. It's clobbering time. I, I dare you to listen to that song and not like at least move a little bit in your seat, let alone like bust out a stage dive off of the top of your desk onto your child. All right. Last no question. Lyrics, just pure aggression. Just pure aggression. Just power, man. Absolutely. And from one of the all-time greats. Okay. Last question for you. Man, you've had a storied career. Uh, you've done a lot of cool things. And it's been cool watching uh, from the sidelines as you've gone into your career. And I love that you reached out about doing this podcast. I've learned a lot. It's been great to hear you. Any, anything you want to leave with our audience around leadership and accountability in high-stress environments, like how to lead and be in that space? Yeah, well, first of all, the same, uh, likewise for me, watching you uh, and you know, through all your touring with and success with Champion and, and subsequent bands afterwards, Betrayed and everything, just been really rad. Um, seeing you on stage all over the world, um, it's just been so cool. And then starting your own business and stuff like that. And like, well, what's, what's this thing that Ram's doing? Ah, you can, oh, he's got a podcast now and you can listen to like your thoughts on everything. It's, it's just been really cool. Again, from the sidelines to see that happening. Likewise. Um, something I'd like to leave with everyone as far as leadership and accountability. I think um, your team has to know that you have their back. Mm. It is hundred percent okay to fail and to make mistakes but if you fail and you feel like you're all alone in your failure then you're not gonna grow from that mm. uh if you fail and your leader says okay that is a failure this is how we get out of that this is how you understand that this is how you get better and this is how i can help you this is where i failed as a leader you failed because i failed Right. You failed because you didn't have the tools or the information to do this task correctly. If that employee knows that the leader has their back in that sense, then they'll learn. Both both sides will learn. Everyone will learn and everyone will be better and you will not repeat the same stuff 
over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And if I was going to say, I think that's a way that we can transition from being in a high stress environment to a high performance environment. Like the expectation is performance, but it doesn't have to be a terrible stress bomb all the time. No, no. Yeah. Right on, man. Beautifully said. All right, everyone. I'm going to see you in the outro, Baruchs. Thank you so much, man. I, I just got to say, as a, as a friend, I love you. I feel so excited that we were able to reconnect on this. It's been far too long. You're a great, great person, and uh, congratulations on all your success. And everybody, something to consider here is like, whatever industry you're in, there are lessons that you can bring to other industries. And this was such a cool and interesting snapshot into yours. All right, everyone. Let's hit the outro. Dave. Drop the beat. Thanks, Baruch, for being on the show. And that was a great, great conversation. You know, the thing about stress in a workplace, I mean, it's the reality for most of us. And sometimes we have a little stress and sometimes we have super high stress. But I could say most of us aren't used to really operating in super constant high stress environments. And, you know, stress isn't great for us, but if we learn how to manage it and really take care of ourselves, we should be able to actually thrive in almost any kind of setting. You know, Baruch is a great example of a leader who has had to be very self-reflective and hold up the mirror so that he can get better and better in not just taking care of himself, but taking care of the people around him. So many great lessons that I believe all of us can apply to our lives. As we're closing off, I want to remind everyone we're produced by Patrick McKechnie. We're edited by Dave Larson, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. Again, I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this has been One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.